This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. When the lights go up and the cameras turn on, you must be exactly what they want you to be and fulfill the common definition of success. That shiny veneer, which gives off the polished appearance. The facade is often paper thin as we come to terms that you may not be what the world sees. You may be tough as nails and hard as stone, but the pressure to uphold an image will eventually overwhelm even the most stoic. When the cracks appear, the tiniest difficulties will exploit every weakness. When the mask comes off and we break, that's when the true self emerges. This is the sustainable personality that comes forward. Getting knocked down is part of life. It's how often we get up that leaves our legacy. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with a boxing legend. Legend. We're in studio with Jerry Cooney himself to discuss What'd you the- say? A legend. <laughs> to discuss the suffering of a professional boxer. We want to throw a big shout out to Toyota Hackensack. They take care of us. Please, if you're looking for a car, let them find you a car. Go to toyotahackensack.com, and they can help you out with that. Now, Mr. Cooney. I mean, where do we even I, start? I, I, I got to tell you, because you're so tall, I got to call you Mr. Cooney. Because <laughs> I'm afraid if I call you Jerry, you'd knock me out. <laughs> no, nah, I wouldn't do that. And of course, that's why, they, that's why they call him Gentleman Jerry Cooney, because <laughs> he's a gentleman. Sitting in with us is our very own Charlie Cifarelli, who uh, Charlie's a huge, huge boxing fan. He's also Charlie. Charlie, I could have been a contender. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into anything, Jerry, we like to take a, a question from our audience every week to see how our guests will answer it. Try to give them a little tool on how to overcome certain things in life. And this this week's question comes from Justice. It's how do you stay focused when old habits creep in? You got to stay in my lane. You got to keep, you know, paying attention to what you were taught. And if you don't, you got to ask for help. I mean, that was a great, a great uh, question. I heard someone say one time, can you help me? Mm. And I've been asking that question for a lot of years. Well, did you, when you were younger, did you ever ask that question? Hey, can somebody just help me? No, because I was taught not, not to talk about it, not to, not to communicate, keep it quiet. Not, don't say nothing to anybody. That's the problem. Yeah, and that, you grew up in that feeling. You sit in the back of the room. You don't raise your hand out of sight, out of mind. That's how it was in my house. You crawl into that little hole, you right. know, and you, and we said it just last week, you know, you get comfortable in that hole, you know, and sometimes you don't want to ask for the help. Well, you, you know, you kind of have to make, and I have a friend of mine who was a prisoner of war. He, he escaped and they kept him in a hole for a couple of years. And I said, John, you know, how did you take it? And you know what he told me? He said, I learned to like the pain. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. If you're in that in that state, in that place, that's all you can do. You learn to like the pain. It's amazing what you can get used to, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get out of it. You know, you, you become so comfortable in it that when it's easy to get out, you still find yourself going back for a while. Well, what what do we call it? Resisting resisting success. You know, when you when you're di- that deep down and you're that hurt, sometimes that, that that becomes comfortable to you. And you really it's not like you you want you don't want help. You just you're comfortable where you're at. Well, you just, that's all you know. Yep. And that's, uh, you've learned to make peace with it some way and not feel and stay down. You know, I mean, that's, that's the story about it. And that's the, uh, the way you survive until you, you know, find the way out. Charlie, what do you think? You've been sober for so long. What do you think? What do you, when you, when those old habits creep in, how do you stay focused? I stay focused because I got a support group that are people that are sober and I got a, morning meditation 
And uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I really don't look outside uh, to try to change how I feel inside. Mike? You know, Jerry, you said something before, like, can you help me? You really need to help yourself. Well, you know, here's the story, right? You, you know, you constantly think so little of yourself that when you finally do come to learn to love yourself, the lights come on. Yeah. And you see your way out. But, you know, until that happens, we keep uh, falling back into the old guy. We feel safe there. We feel we feel comfortable. We learn to be comfortable. Yeah. And, and, but it's not comfort. And uh, you kind of see people changing, and you want to feel, feel that. And it's been a great experience. You know, 34 and a half years clean for me. I, You know, my life has really turned around where I can be intimate with my wife. I love my children. I can't wait to see my wife. I can't wait to go to bed with my wife. You know, this is the things that were giving me the gifts yeah. of life that I was supposed to be given growing up. Unfortunately, my father never knew about them. He learned how to survive, and he taught us how to survive. And unfortunately, there was a lot of neglect and abuse, and, you know. But how to survive was more street survival. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have to hide, sneak, learn how to lie to my father. You couldn't tell him, you know, you, you had to uh, survive. Well, you find out real quick who Jerry really is. Well, no, you, you know, it's, it's a process. I mean, I, I, listen, I was 15 and a half. Um, I went to the gym. My brother was boxing, and I, I, I thought I was good. I, I was hitting a heavy bag in my house. I said, let me box. Can I box somebody? They put me in this little tank, I, and he knocked me around the gym that day. And I threw the gloves off, and I went home. And I said, forget it, it's not for me. But I went down in the basement the next day, and I put the gloves on and hit the bag, expecting the guy was going to come on me. And two or three days later, I went back to the gym, and I asked if I could box that kid again at 15 and a half. And he couldn't do that to me. Once I understood, I learned about breathing, I learned how to move, and, and then six months later, I went and won the middleweight championship in the garden <laughs> in, uh, in front of 21,000 people. It was, it was but isn't that a great metaphor for life? What you just said right there, you got knocked down, you picked yourself back up, you got back in the ring, and you kept going. Well, you yeah, kept I mean, moving that's, forward. That's a struggle. That, that, yeah. That's life, that we have to get up and move forward. People get stuck. People stay down. People don't turn the page. You know, at some time in our lives, we have to understand, okay, this is not for me anymore. I got to turn the page and get on with my life, get a new set of rules. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, I helped a lot of people. And um, in that process, I was able to help myself. Well, one of the greatest quotes I ever heard, and I'm sure everybody heard it, it's not how many times you got knocked down, it's how many times you got back up. By your friend, yeah, you know, by your, that, by you your friend Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Well, Sports Illustrated cover. Life is a, it's, it's a struggle. Life, yeah. life is a fight. Yeah. You know, I, I, listen, I don't know if there's any blessed kids that didn't have any trouble in their life. You know, obviously I learned you're no good, you're a failure. You're not going to amount to anything. Don't trust nobody. Don't tell nobody your business. Meanwhile, my father was telling me that so he could, nobody would know what was going on in the house. Yeah. But see, I use that as my strength to answer this social media question. I use that as my strength because I was told very similar things to you growing up. You're not going to be any good. As a matter of fact, my father used to call me the laziest white man alive. That's exactly what my father used to say to me. And now I use that as my strength. I use that as my reason to stay on the straight and narrow. I'm going to show you. My, you son of a bitch, I'm going to show no. you, no, you, you know, and I'm going to be good for goodness sake. I forgave my father. That was my story. Yeah, you forgave and him? the only way I could get to away from that was to forgive my father. Kev, Kevin used to be called the great white dope. <laughs> <laughs> 
I haven't I haven't gotten there yet. Like no, I haven't gotten great, to, to your great point. place. Get there because you're just wasting our. I've tried. Time. I've really tried, but there there's a lot of there, there's a lot of backstory to it. But um, Justice, thank you so much for sending that in. It's a it's a really tough, thought provoking question, and I think it's going to help a lot of and people. And Kevin, I don't think we have to ask the toughest question. You know what I want to ask? Because the last time I saw you, you punched me square in the <laughs> right ribs. In the ribs. I didn't punch you anywhere, bro. I may have tapped you or something. <laughs> Maybe I touched. It was you. a love tap. A tap Come from on, a tap from <laughs> a from a, a world class heavyweight who George Foreman once said that you were one of the hardest punchers he's ever faced. Yeah. So a tap from you, it's not like it's a tap from a normal Listen, person. My, my wife is out walking the dog one night, and there's this gym teacher, a big tough guy. He wanted to box me, you know. So I said, "Come on, let's go to the gym." Now I never, you know, obviously as a professional fighter. When I see you move once, mm. I know you. I can set you up for that place. When I see you move another place, I know where your weaknesses are, right? So I'm playing with the guy, and, and you know, they always want to hurt you, right? Right. And so I have so many stories like that. And so my wife is walking down the street with the dog, and this guy goes, oh, how you doing? I boxed with your husband, Jerry. He broke two of my ribs. Don't say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> my wife said... You know, it's just, uh, so many stories. I had a guy come into the gym saying that he's been a carpenter for 10 years. He's not making it. He came in, wants to fight me. And I told him, don't do it. Don't do it. I was about 22. And my trainer came in and got mad and put him in the ring with me. And, you know, the, the, for as being a professional athlete, when you're fighting somebody and you can see that look in their eyes like they're trying to hurt you, you know, so I bang him in the ribs a little bit and stop him, drop him to the ground. I did it twice. And then the third time I hit him on the chin. Dropped him to the ground. He got up, said, okay, I guess I'll be a carpenter. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of those stories that people think that you can get into the ring, into my world. I mean, there's been plenty of football players that wanted me to go and uh, box them, and they're going to be right here with me. And I said, listen, do you think that I can get on the football field with you? All right. And no, I can't. Well, we, we had Butchie Sanchez in here, which I know, I know you know him. And Butchie had said he used to love it when the guys came in the gym from prison, the big tough guys, and wanted to fight and wanted to box. And everybody was sort of foaming at the mouth, wanting to get in the ring with these guys because these guys wanted to show that they are tough. Well, there's a difference between fighting and boxing. Well, well it's pugilism. Well, first. let me tell you guys a story. So I used to work for Union County. They used to have like 60 or 80 rookie cops. And they used to take them to uh, the Union County someplace, and they would train them all these different areas. And I would do uh, self-defense. And I'd get there and i teach them how to protect himself. If there's no stick, if there's no gun, how to protect yourself. And so there'd be 80 guys in a circle. And there'll always be four or five guys that want to try you out. And so I used to get a kick out of that because everybody would be around the circle watching them. And I would box them. And, you know, they, can't, they couldn't get to me. And I'd slap them around. They'd be a little bit embarrassed. It was so much fun. Would you ever have an instance where... Okay, you're moving on in your career, and I know we're sort of getting off track, but you're moving on in your career where somebody tries you. You're Jerry Cooney. You you fought for the heavyweight championship of the world, and somebody just for a little bit of street credibility. We just saw this with Mike Tyson on an yeah, airplane. Sure. Yeah, on an airplane. airplane, and Mike lost his cool. Right, he lost his cool, and to his detriment because that was on camera. Did Did you ever come across that? You know, I've always had people with me, and you, you know, got to be smart, right, about it, because you uh, could kill somebody. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, I, I usually tell them, what is it you really want out of this? You want to fight me? Mm. And they never do. It's just a crowd of people. I think they're tough guys. But when you look them in the eye and say, what is it you really want from this? Mm. They never want to fight. You have an amazing calmness to you 
being in the ring and in what some people call one of the most violent sports, but any, I've, I, I have boxed and it's not a violent sport at all. It's a sport of, of science and reaction. Um, that's not something that's learned. Cause I've watched a lot of your, your fights as an amateur, especially when you did the New York golden gloves. And then when you went to your, one of your first pro fights against uh, Dino, um, Dennis. Dino, Dino Dennis, Dennis, who talked a lot of trash to you. I watched the difference in the way that you moved. Who, is that something that is taught or is it something that you natural or a boxer naturally has? Well, I remember he put his hand on me at the weigh-in and it really made me angry, right? So I come back after the first round. My trainer says, you could have knocked him out. Why didn't you? I said to myself, it's the first time I ever said this. I have plenty of time. I, I was so angry with him. Mm. You just want to punish so him. I beat him up a little bit. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, and, and that's part of the game. And, you know, um, you know, they often talk about, you know, the, there's a knock on the door and they open the door. They say, Cooney, you're next. And your life kind of passes before you. And then the walk down the hallway, you start to hear the roar of the crowd. And I'm getting chills as I'm telling you, because you become magical when that happens. When you got, when you, when you're in shape and you're taking care of yourself, it's just magic when you get in. You don't care about them introducing anybody, singing any songs. Just ring the bell. I want to, I want to get going. I want to figure, I have a plan. I'm listening to my corner. I'm going to take this guy apart. That's the game. And you know, that, that's one of the questions I was going to ask. And in modern day boxing, it's all about like showism now. You know, these guys come in with these whole entourages yeah. and, you know, I mean, to me, that's just getting a ring and fight. Uh, you know, I, I have fun with it because they're all crazy guys. They're just human <laughs> beings and, you know, it's their moments, right? But, so, but I, I love when these guys come in with all this pomp and circumstance, go out and get the ass beat well, in the first I mean, round. Sometimes it happens, shit knocked but, out of them. Hey, listen, that's life, right? Mm-hmm. We all do. Yeah. We all get knocked down, right? We have to get up, dust off our pants and move on and without sitting still. For too long because life's not waiting for us. Yeah. Father Life time never going. stops. Right. So when you were working with Victor Valley, and did he did he sort of mentor you? I, I've heard things. He's a second father to you. Did he sort of mentor you into the big arenas that you were about to go into, and preparing you? Because I imagine that that can really get your nerves, and it it screws up your game a little bit. No. So he was a great guy. <laughs> I, I, no, love, I love the guy. The great guy, and. um he really gave me a lot of stuff. And, and in the moments, I couldn't really, um, understand it all. When I finished boxing, looking back is when I really learned how to fight. I mean, I was a, I was an angry guy. Anger took me to finding those openings. But when I finished the game and I was out of the game for a while and I, life slowed down for me again, I was able to really ingest what he told me all those years. Mm-hmm. And be able to pick it up and make the guy miss and find the opening and, you know, and that's the gift of it. But w- when I was a kid, and probably because of my upbringing and my background, I couldn't really see as easy as I, as I see guys I train now who can pick up quickly and I can, and they keep it. Like I have my daughter and my son, they both can fight. They're both punchers and they don't forget. Mm-hmm. You know, back then for me, it was like, uh, you know, it was, life was spinning, 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 spinning. And I was trying to hold on. And that's where booze kind of calmed me down a little bit. Like, I uh, believe the night, May 11th, 1981, when I fought Kenny Norton, I believe that night I could have beat Holmes. I was in such great shape. I was I was a beast. And um, Yeah, you, you, um, you took over that fight. Well, yeah, I want to just I'll tell you a quick story in that fight. So 
Uh, I'm fighting Norton, you know, and uh, I'm 23. I'm, my, my son is 24. I can't believe it. I was a year younger than him fighting <laughs> Kenny Norton, who just lost to Holmes three years before. And um, so I, I, when it came out, I always like to let the guys feel my power. I want them to feel what I got. So maybe it's going to make him a little leery coming in, right? So I catch him with the right hand to the body, and he buckled a little bit. And I thought, so I said, wow, that, that shit felt good. <laughs> I felt got good. him. That's I got good. him. Let me take a shot here for 30 seconds. I Somehow I got him. I spun him into the corner. And I when I caught up with his, with his uh, bobbing and weaving, I hit him with an uppercut, and you could see him go limp. But the referee, he didn't stop the fight. And you're trained to keep going yeah. until it's over, right? So... Right, if yeah. I recall that, you he's he's down and you're still going to town on him. I, I can't remember. I, 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 I remember because I watched it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because I watched. I remember. YouTube no, is a he great was thing. He stuck on the rope and he couldn't fall. Yeah. But the referee wasn't seeing that. But I have to keep keep continuing to fight when he's and it felt pretty good, right? So <laughs> I knock him out in 54 seconds in the first round. You think I was in greatest shape of my life? You think I would say, well, I got to get a good trainer, I got to get a nutritionist and a condition coach. Because I'm going to fight Larry Holmes for the heavyweight championship of the world, right? Thing I've been wanting to do my whole life. But because of my upbringing and the fear that was involved in that, you're just not good enough, you can't make it. We self-sabotage ourselves. Yeah. And I, and, and I started to party that night. And 13 months later, I fight Holmes. And I get stopped in the 13th round. But, see, it wasn't me because I was drinking. I wasn't taking care of myself. So my father, I was going to prove my father wrong anyway. That it wasn't really me. It was that, it was that I was drinking and didn't take care of myself. Dumb. Do you think uh, if you had a trainer, and this is kind of a, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty type of thing, because I know your management team was looking at Customato as a, as a potential trainer. Do you think if somebody like him who really, because what he did to Tyson is he sort of adopted him. Do you think that would have made a difference? No. I, I, they set up an appointment, a meeting with me with Customato, and I was like an, a half hour, 40 minutes late. And he was so mad at me, but the train was delayed. <laughs> and, and once I heard that, I don't want to do it. And I trained up there at his camp. I saw him up there. He's a little bit of a wild, crazy guy. But Victor Valley was my guy. And uh, the only thing is they were dealing with a lot of dysfunction from me, my upbringing, and a lot of self-sabotage that was in there underneath where I couldn't even see it. That that's the main thing is a self sabotage, you know, because it's like, like I said, going back to the resisting success thing, you know, you you want to get there, but you're comfortable sabotaging yourself. Well, I would not that I'm comfortable, uh, you know, it was like uh, fear of uh, feeling broken, so you kind of take the rent. Like I I work with these young kids, and I get them going and I teach them boxing and I teach them about life and I talk about their pain and I get them up and shined up and they look pretty. They're just about to shine and they take a big rock and they throw it right into the motor and they throw it away. And yeah. that's unfortunately, that's how life is, right? That's what we do. I spent a long time self-sabotaging, okay. so I get it. So, yeah, so I that's what I identify with. And uh, how to, I wish I had somebody who could have said, come on, Cooney. Or better than that, I hope I get the opportunity to grab some kid and say, hey, kid, come on, stick with me now. This is important. This is really important. Let's pay attention. That Mickey I figure. I have somebody like that. That yeah. Mickey, Mickey figure in the guys Rocky. guys I had would, would wanted to make money, 
um, not my trainer, but these other people. And that was the most important thing. It wasn't me. Right. Well, you they know? pulled some tricks and stuff like this. I, I had heard a story that they offered Muhammad Ali $250,000 a year for the rest of his life to fight you. No, no, no. We, we were supposed to, let me tell you something about me and Ali. So Ali and I, he was thinking about fighting me back in those days. It was, uh, I really didn't know anything about it at that time. But So he fights Leon Spinks. And what happened was he lost to Leon Spinks. So that messed up the whole fight card for me. Because <laughs> now he had to go back and have a rematch with, with, with Ali again, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's how I got kicked out of that picture. But anyway, to say, I got Larry Holmes. Listen, I, I, I do a great, I have a great radio program, Sirius XM, Channel 156, Mondays and Fridays. And we broke down the heavyweight division from Jack Johnson up and through Muhammad Ali, Lennox Lewis, Larry Holmes. And Larry Holmes... Next to Ali, he was number two. He and Lennox Lewis. That's how great a fighter he was. That's the kind of guy I fought with, with no experience. You see Larry Holmes now. Larry, We're great he, friends. He, yeah, I see, I see you with him all the time. We're but you friends. see Larry Holmes now. I remember Larry Holmes in his prime, and he was a beast. He was a beast. He so was, was Lennox beast. Lewis, though. Lennox Lewis was a monster. Yeah. You, you had all these guys, and, and people, don't, people forget how good Larry Holmes was because he, was, he wasn't champion he for— He was not good. He was great. I traveled in Europe with him for two or three weeks. And so every every stop, every dinner club we did, we saw highlights of his films, highlights of my films. And what a magical guy. Yeah. How patient he was. Yeah. He waited. He got dropped. He got up. Found the way. And, uh, and I love the story behind the, that particular fight on, in June of 1982 with him. I love the stories behind how you, you were the great white hope. And, and that's how Don King had built it. You know, it, was, yeah, that's true. Did, and, did, and let me just tell you a story quick. You bring all these great things up. So what happened was my wife sent away, she sent the hair or whatever you send away, and found out that I was 10% African-American. Somewhere's in there. So <laughs> well, the there whole, goes the whole great the white The whole hope. thing was a lie. It was a lie. <laughs> the great white 90%. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so anyway, the, the thing of the matter is, Holmes did not like me because he felt like I got the easy track. In some ways, I did. You were on the court right. cover of Sports Illustrated. So, some, sometimes they yeah. put me on the cover, him on the inside cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so mad at me, right? And uh, so today, we're the best of friends. I talked to him today. I, I'm, gonna, I'm telling him he has some diabetes. I'm telling him you got to exercise. Yeah, yeah. That's our conversation today. Right. You know, I mean, even back in the day, he... Like a guy like Ken Norton. Ken Norton was jacked up back in the day. He when was. He was, a fighter. He was he, older I mean, than that when we fought. But I want to tell you, what but reason, Holmes was just a big guy, with a, you know, and a, and a great puncher. Oh, he had three fought Norton to death, life and death, yeah. three fights. But the problem with me in my career, why I lacked the experience I needed. So when I fought a guy like Holmes, if I had a rematch with Holmes from what I learned that night in the ring with him, we would have had a great fight. Yeah, it was a great fight to begin it with. It was a great fight. It was but, a fantastic. But I'm fight, saying yeah. that I learned so much from him that night. But unfortunately, Don King owned the heavyweight division, and I wouldn't sign with him. <laughs> so he kept me out of the picture. So I'm fighting Norton, who's, you know, 12 years older than me. You know, those kinds of things. I needed some good experience, some good looks, mm. and I never got. So the fight happens June 11th. 11th. You testing me, bro? Are you testing me? <laughs> I'm making sure you're really Jerry Cooney. <laughs> Hell no. And not the fake so Jerry Cooney. June 12th comes. You have to pick yourself off the campus, get up, live your normal life. I didn't pick myself off on the campus. I, I was up. 
And listen, I had to turn the page. From the metaphorical but canvas. I want to just tell you something that because of the dysfunction, because of how I avoided my life, I had to work on stuff. And it still took me from 1982 to 88 to finally put down the booze and really say, can't do this anymore. How heavy was the drinking after the Holmes fight? Oh, I drank every day. Every day. You know, it wasn't a fall down drunk or something like that, but I drank every day. Anesthetizing the pain, yeah. <laughs> you were a pro Well, pro not drinker. just the pain of that fight, of my life. Of your life. Of, of the confusion, life. the fear, the loneliness, the emptiness. You know, I'm reading a great book right now. It's about this guy that he's so codependent on this woman, on these women, he can't live his life. I needed, for me, I needed someone to hold me and squeeze me at nighttime. And the, so and the alcohol, the alcohol held you. Well, it held That's, no, yeah. it held me, and women. Yeah, and and you know, unfortunately, you know, I felt a lot of guilt about that through my life, and then I found out everybody goes through what they need to go through to get to the next place. So here was, so here I am now. I put the booze down. I stay alone for five years, and then here's the story, right? So. Here's what I did over and over again. I met the beautiful girl. She dressed good. She smelled good. She laughed good. And when the dust settled, she was crazy <laughs> because I was crazy. Okay? You were so on the same level of Char crazy. Charlie, you talked about that. I was attracted that. to that because I felt like I was safe. Yeah. Like this was going to be safe. I'll be able to fix her the way I make her the way I want to make her. It never happened not once. And so I, I had to stay alone. And in that time, I went to Africa, I went to Central America, I played golf, I did all these beautiful things, and I learned about who I was, finally. Well, yeah. Charlie talks about that. You you get together with a person who is of your same personality, right? You attract what you put out. Right. And you know, Jerry, I have to say this. I, I watched a documentary on YouTube about you. and um, I never did. I, I, I did, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I watched it earlier this your, week. Your, your father could have been my father, and tonight this is a meeting for me because I think that's the last part I got to do. I got to forgive him. I got to yeah. forgive him. I went to, I went to, I went, I took a ride out to where he's buried. Spent an hour and a half with him. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. I need to hear that tonight because I wrote that book there, 14th and 2nd, and uh, I talk about the I trauma. you got a signed copy for me. I certainly do. And uh, <laughs> it's and, actually, it's a one, it's a, there's very few books that have ever made me cry. That one made me cry. But, I got some great books for you, too. Yeah. But, Jerry, I, I was disciplined with hands, and I, I was a punching bag for my father. And, you know, I, I, I hearing you tonight say you forgave him uh, means a lot. And, of course, I, I ran myself into the arms of women, and nobody could fix me because I was attracting people that were broken, and uh, they were just as empty as I was. Listen, my father built a ring in the backyard, and he used to make my mother keep time. And I could never hit him. I could have kicked his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm but so that's glad, a fatherly respect. I'm you so glad I never did because later on I heard someone that did kick his ass. Yeah. Their father's ass. Oh, really? And they never ha had a very difficult time getting up. So I never did. And uh, I guess he always wanted to be a fighter. And uh, just in the military, he was a merchant marine. He never got that chance. He left home when he was 17. You know, you have, you, it sounds like to me, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you have like a Lawrence Taylor type of, type of story where you were so good at what you did that the drinking, like, how do you tell Jerry Cooney, hey, listen, 
Stop drinking. Yeah, stop drinking. Stop drinking. Fight coming up. Otherwise, uh, you 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 you're already fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world. Stop drinking. Like, how do you do that? Let me tell you something. So I've I've run into at least a hundred guys that want to become a promoter. They were going to match up with this guy and that guy. They're putting hundred grand, two hundred grand in. I told every single one of them, don't do it. Right? Every single one of them did it. Guess what? They lost. They all ended up broke, empty. You know, it's a game. It's a, you know, and you know, um, that's boxing. But what, what, when, what finally clicked in you to say, this is, I got to stop this. Was it after your fighting career? Um, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself. I just never knew what am I, what am I going to be? Now I made money and I, uh, I, uh, I made money and I saved my money. One thing I knew that the rainy day was coming. I grew up poor. I wouldn't, I grew up with nothing, holes in my shoes. I grew up with my brother's hand-me-downs. All those things, but I knew the rainy day was coming, and I fought my ass off to get there. But you didn't—you didn't make the money that they're making now. I made, you know, ten million dollars in 1982. Damn, well, that's a hell of a lot of money then. It's a hell of a lot of money now too. But yeah. I mean, these guys—I mean, Tyson was getting made, like twenty-two million I made a, a fight. lot of money. Yeah, I made a lot of money. And well, you—you you, was that what led you into start? I know you were doing that fist program and well, out of Gleason's. Well, the great thing for fist was for me was that I've seen so many fighters come and go, and uh, you know they're going to be the champ, and then they're going to be the sparring partner, then they're going to be the opponent, and then the fans feel sorry for them. They're broke. Yeah. So I saw that all my life. I used to spar with these guys, and uh, so I. I was looking to get out, find a way out. And this foundation helped me to learn about myself and to help these other less fortunate guys. Well, FIST was was a program started to to help retire boxers. I know it's an acronym for something. It escapes me. Fighters uh, initiative for support and training. Yeah. To put them in school, to find out what their skills are, what they liked. But what we found out was that there's so many issues, family, alcohol, drugs, children, you know, you name it. Nobody wants, they, they never learned how to fight because the managers made them dependent on them by taking care of their bills, taking care of this, taking care of that. All of a sudden, now Jose is in the gym. He's the guy and you just get thrown out. Right. And so you become bitter and, 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 and empty and lonely and the, the, the sport that you loved turned on, turned on you. And there's not a fighter that I haven't met that I've asked. Did you get away from the game for? I know I did. Mm. You know, some some of you you're like almost the flavor of the day. You know, when, when you're when you're up there and you're making all that money, and then all the, all of a sudden, young stud comes in. You know, you're you're no more used I, to that 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 trainer or the promoter. I, I never looked at it that way. You know, athletes. <clears throat> we're athletes. I respect all athletes. I have been fortunate to be with football players, great baseball players, soccer players. You name it, fighters. I've been with them all. We all have that element. You know, the problem that comes for us is we miss the roar of the crowd. Oh, I'm sure. And it's so hard to turn that page. So you stay a little bit longer and you become an opponent. And then you you still go out there and then you become a sparring partner. And then you still go out there. But if you go into an arena now, people are going to recognize you and clap for you. 
but not 21, 22,000 people the guys? I, screaming I, for you. I went to Michael Buffer and told him, do me a favor, don't introduce me when I come to the fights. I'll be out in Vegas with them. I asked him, please, I'd rather not be introduced. I don't want to be. I don't feel like what I did was, you know, I didn't have the tools at that time to be who I could have been. I hoped sometime I can give somebody that information. I'm a great teacher of the game, but... It takes a lot of discipline for me to go away in in March and come back in November, go away in December, come back in. You know, it's like yeah. you have to, you're, the guy you're training has to want it. If you don't want it, I got no time for you. And I'm sure you can see it in your eyes if they want family. it or not. No, you can see how they respond. Yeah. How do you respond? I had a guy, a great guy, Lennox Lewis gave me from Jamaica. He was 59 and one or something. He brought him to me. I trained him. You know, for a couple of months, I brought a kid from, from Russia in. And, and all the kid wanted to do was stay back. He didn't do anything but getting inside. You know, you got to create the openings. Yeah. You got to become from amateur to a pro. I told that to Lennox Lewis. He said, that's what I wanted to hear. But this kid couldn't make that adjustment. It sounds like your post-boxing career, you're sort of trying to right some wrongs that you had in your life. Like you saw the holes in, in, when, in Jerry Cooney when he was younger. And you're trying to steer. Don't you think we need it? Of course we yeah, do. We need absolutely. we need warriors who have already fought battles in order to teach the new soldiers how to do it. But it's not about, you know, the barrier, the, the warrior. It's about teaching a kid. Why don't you go to the post office and sort mail this summer and get your foot in the door and sort that mail every day and do it right. And then you'll get a job at the post office. You'll get retirement. You'll get a health insurance, you'll get, you know, a, a good salary. Those are the gifts we got to start with. These kids are so behind. Well, a lot of kids want to start off on top. They don't want to do well, the groundwork. Doesn't? Who they, doesn't? Yeah, they don't, don't you? Well, I never started off anywhere. Hey, listen, <laughs> I, I never ended wait. up anywhere either. I couldn't wait till I paid off what I owed my management. And it happened to me with Dino Dennis in the garden. That was all my dream was. I wanted to see how far I could go. And then little did I know, I self-sabotaged myself in the moment that was in the moment that was I was really to shine. But that being said, I didn't have those guys to teach me. Yeah. Those other fighters that were, were, were had different looks, were talented, were good. You have to you have to you have to work. You gotta work in there and create the openings. I didn't have that because I was kept from that. And that's the game. That was the boxing game. One one it's better question. now. What's your thoughts on a guy like Chuck Wepner? I love Chuck Wepner. The, the Bayonne the bleeder. man I ever knew. <laughs> you know what he said in an interview once? He goes, I'm so grateful I took that beating from Ali because I bought my bar with it. Yeah. Well, listen. That's gratitude, and I always appreciate that I'm statement. offended when you talk that way about Chuck Wepner. He's a friend of mine, and he's strong. I didn't say anything right bad about him. <laughs> well, well, you kind of make fun of Chuck Wepner. No, I just said the Bayonne bleeder. Bayonne bleeder, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love the guy. He fought his ass yeah, off. Yeah, my, my father knew Chuck Webner growing up. He got up, a like. chance to fight yeah. Ali and took it. Yeah, the absolutely. The and they made Rocky after him. Yeah. And and, and he well, fought, that, that's he why fought I, Stallone to get another share yeah. of that money. Stallone made, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars. I don't know what Chuck Webner made. Off, off of Chuck Webner. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck so, Webner was the original Rocky. That's why, I mean, like I said, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't mean to offend you. My father yeah. knew Chuck Webner growing up. I'm very up. proud of those yeah. guys. 
Yeah, he, Chuck. Chuck he paved the way was, for himself. Yeah, exactly. He found the way. Was he the greatest fighter? No. Did he get hit a lot? Did he get <clears> cut <throat> up a lot? Yeah. But he was a man's man. Yeah. He wrote me a letter when he was away in prison, right? And he said he was rooting for me. And really? Then, <clears throat> this is a guy who went away for a lot of years yeah. for something he did. And he sent me a letter and it gave me hope. But he had a, he, he, I, I just appreciate his gratitude. Like he stood toe to toe with arguably you know the greatest. The, story. the great. I saw the, the fifteen movie, rounds. But. All right, so he was a bar. He's a, he's do. I don't mean to interrupt you, but he's a liquor salesman. He's a liquor salesman. Yeah. So he goes into the bar, and Linda is the bartender. She loves Ali. He's been delivering liquor there, so he likes her. She's nice, right? So he's flirting with her and all this. She loves Ali. Then he's fighting Ali, and he goes in and tells he's fighting Ali. She's Married to him now, the Chuck Wetman. The same girl. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. What a great story. He, that is, that's a beautiful and story. they love each other more than anything. I love to talk to them. I love to hear them. Disgust me. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but he's, so the, the, the gratitude that what you're talking about is go sort mail, go do those jobs, work your way up. Yeah. And because it, what it teaches you, and I think. Can you help me? Can you, right. So you, you're teaching gratitude. You're teaching gratitude. And the one thing I always took away from Chuck Wepner's story, yes, Rocky was made after him, and, and that was that was a great story, but he fought Ali, and he was grateful, and he, he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the toughest bro, fighter in the world. 15 rounds, right? He fought Sonny Liston. Yeah. He fought everybody. I didn't know he, he, saw, he fought Liston. Yeah. He fought a bear. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 I do know that. I do know that. He fought Sonny Liston. Sonny. This guy was a tough guy, and uh, he was a man's man, and... Uh, did he have the best talent? No, he was a tough guy. But he had a great heart. Yeah. So while we're on that subject, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. Good. The magic punch, Sonny Liston, Ali. Uh, that wasn't, no. from what I saw. <laughs> You're inside. He fell you... down. You know, from, from what I saw, you know, I don't know about the crookedness of the, the, the mobs and all that back then, but Ali wasn't a big puncher. He couldn't. Drop Sonny Liston like that <laughs> and knock him out. I mean, you know, listen. He floated like then, a butterfly. Sonny Liston, this is my opinion. Yeah. Sonny Liston hated needles. Someone stuck him in the back with a needle. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was just reading. I went down that weird rabbit hole with boxing. And I was reading his autopsy report today for some reason. There's but. no fixed fights today. There's just sick, you know, uh, officials, sick um, people who score the fights. They don't know what they're looking at. Well, I yeah, I know the the Holmes your referee for the Holmes was Mills the famous Mills Lane Mills Lane great guy yeah. and um you know is I guess some He's like the hanging yeah, judge yeah, I remember he was his show Judge Mills Lane Judge Mills Lane but I used to love when he officiated the show he be almost, no almost he almost became a personality himself well let me tell you something right so I'm fighting Holmes and every time I come around to throw a left hook to the body. Holmes is pulling my head down, and Mills Lane is standing over there, and he says, don't do that again. And every time this happens, Holmes is a smart dude, right? He gets Mills Lane over there, and when I come to the body, he puts my head down. I hit him with a, uh, low punches twice. I get three points taken away. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about points taken away, but I do figure I can't win now. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was ahead. I was close. The fight was very close. Yeah. And I had three points taken away. But Mills Lane couldn't see it. As great as he was, mm. we're all fallible. Well, that's the fallibility. You know, they, should of... have, they should have an outside referee watching the fight to be able to, you know. Well, that, it, Now they have film. They have a, 
a rerun. You can yeah. go between rounds and rerun it. But, you know, back then they didn't. Right. I think I, I same problem in, in professional football with the instant replay. I, there's, yeah. there's some beauty about the human fallibility in officiating those games, it, boxing included. You know, that, that's part of that's the element of it. I, I tell my kid, my young kids that I coach now, it's not a penalty until the referee sees it. Right. You know, and I'm sure you see that in the boxing. Holmes knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, he, he, was, was, he was good. Yeah. He was smart. You're smart. You sure you want to fight me? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, Charlie. The punches still hurt. I can imagine. The punches. I can imagine. Hurt. Well, I was almost scared. You said I offended you, and I didn't mean to no, offend I, you. I to mean, chuck up there. Listen, I mean, it was like, listen. Yeah, I don't want to fight you. Either. Knew, <laughs> I know you guys had a hard life. It wasn't easy being policemen yeah. and all that, especially in today's time. You got that right. But fighters, I don't care who they are. They get in the ring and that bell rings. You got to be a man. Yeah. And he was better than that. He didn't have the <clears> skills <throat> as much as some of the other guys, but he had the heart way but, bigger than but, that. That's what I said. He had heart. Like I said, my father knew him growing up, you yeah. know, and, and I always had an admiration for Chuck Webner. I love Chuck Webner. Because, I mean, he, he just went in there. He didn't care who he was fighting. He went in and balls to the wall every fight and just. Would just start throwing until he did until he stopped throwing. And he, I'm sure, you know, he had some some bar fights himself. I would imagine. <laughs> well, isn't that isn't that the isn't that the way allegedly box, boxing is? It sort of catches the wayward kids and tries to get them on get them focused on something out of the straight and narrow. Well, that's what happened with, with Mike Tyson. He was in a, in a reformatory, and Customata used to go yeah. and take the toughest kids, and and the state would pay him to put him in his home, and then he would bring him to the gym and train him. Isn't it, isn't it weird how Mike Tyson is now this modern-day sage? Yeah, I mean, listen. He's, he's been, got some great he's things. He's been through hell. Yeah. He's got homing pigeons. He's been through hell. He's, he's got some great things to say. I listen to him. Yeah. And this is a guy who... Listen, Mike Tyson when he said, named a white pigeon after me, bro. Really? <laughs> Will you let you laugh at me? No, not, no, 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 no. Once again, no, 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 no. Uh, but he, he's... He's one of the, the examples. And I used to do some stuff with the East Orange Pal in boxing. And sure enough, I'm on patrol one night. We get a call. Some kids are breaking in the car. I go up there and I see one of the kids running. It's one of the kids from East Orange Pal. And I remember we caught him. And I said, what do you think Coach Bilal will say to you? And he goes, and he's going, beat my ass. It's exactly what the kid said to me. Because that, that program was designed to mm -hmm. get the kids on the straight and narrow, focus them. Well, I mean, you also have to, at some point, you have to respect them and have them respect you. And that's the way to go about it, not by being angry or beating them up. You have to love them. And, and if it doesn't work, then you can't play. Well, you can't yell at anybody unless you show love behind it. It doesn't well, work. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in that, so yeah. I understand all that. But, you know, sometimes you have to sit them down. Sometimes you tell them you can't come out. Uh, sometimes, you know, you know um, kids just are frustrated. So how did you transition after you sobered up, after your last fight? You transition and you're counseling people. Now you're taking what you learn by sobering up and counseling people. If you if you had to, your greatest piece of advice that you give somebody who's in the throes of addiction, throes of sobriety, however, or the early stages of sobriety, what do you think is the best piece of advice to give them? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, listen, you have and, to abstain. You, the, you, have to, you, you have to understand that, you know, I tell people, spend a half an hour and on one piece of paper, Write the last three times you went out from beginning to end on one piece of paper. And if you like my story, there's no more fun. It's over. So stand up to the plate. Get Yankee Stadium. Swing the bat. 
But this is, you, you put it on the refrigerator, you put it in your car, you put it in the bathroom, and you look at it because that's where you're going if you're lucky. And a lot of people get lost on, on Route 1 in those uh, hooker hotels. They want get they go in, they never come out. Mm. I've heard it, I've seen it. You know, so you know, listen, this is one time around. There's no more do overs. There's no more practice runs, no more make and believe. This is the big one, son. Life is a one shot deal. And I tell told the guy today, listen, you can he kept on trying to explain to me how he was gonna do this. But I said, Well then, why don't you try it your way and then tell me how that works out for you? It's <laughs> Try it your way. It's sort of an accountability list, right? Is that what you're looking well, at? We have to learn. What I've really come to learn is that I have come to learn to love myself. I'm important. And I've attracted people who are like-minded people, who I can trust, who I admire, who I love. And I try and give that out. But you have an energy about you right now. Okay, so... <laughs> I've always had an energy. I'm, was it, that's what I'm going to ask you. Is it always like that? I'm always... A Even when you were younger? Dude, I'm a crazy guy. Listen, I love people. When I leave people, they pay me to come back. I give them a hard time, <laughs> and they pay me to come back. <laughs> they love the abuse. They get used but, to comfortable with the abuse. You're talking about hanging around with like-minded people. Back when you were self-sabotaging, were you associating yourself with self-sabotaging self people? I went to a party in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace with everybody from Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Dean Martin, everybody you could ever imagine you want to meet, they were at the party with me and Larry Holmes. Now, obviously, at that time, I wasn't allowed to feel it. Yeah. So I just wrote a book, and it's called Gentleman Jerry, A Contender in the Ring, A Champion in Recovery, right? It's been out for since the pandemic. We got killed with the pandemic. And um, Did you bring us a signed copy? No, I hadn't thought about the book. You know what I mean? Look at this. I know. Look at this. You know, next Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You know, next, next time he comes this in, is a free, this is a free interview. <laughs> and you know, I I had this guy who writes a great guy, he's a therapist, and but it was kind of like a little soft. You know what I mean? My life was anything but soft. <laughs> so I had to read the book, and I had to clean it up. And it was the first time in my life that I was able to admire my my life and my career. Where I came from, I was not supposed to get to where I went to. And somehow, my God, you know, they say, you know, I'm reading this, this story about how God will pay you back tenfold. And I believe that today, that God saw this kid that was trying and was trying and just kept getting knocked down. And he showed me the way. And then he even showed me the way when I was to fight Holmes. But I didn't take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if you, he comes to me and I take it, then I grow. Then opportunities come. But if I am a little too afraid and I pull back and I tighten up, I don't take it, then it goes away. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's what happened to me. I believe in that night. And that being said, I still, you know, most of the guys I've been with all those years are struggling today. They didn't save any money. They are struggling with too many shots. And I, I made it out okay, unless you talk to my wife. <laughs> yeah, but see, Jerry, I have a feeling. I have a theory. Okay, uh -oh, uh -oh. I have a theory. Yeah, we're gonna hear this. Theory. Yeah, watch out. My theory is you were up. You were you were always put in the exact position that you were meant to be. In. For instance, in 1982, 
You were meant to lose to Larry Holmes. Can you imagine what would happen if you won that and you became heavyweight champion of the world when you had these this addiction monster on, on your back? Yeah. You can you imagine what may have the, the possible consequences of you winning that but fight? I think bigger than that. I think God saw that. Mm. And and uh, he gave me the the, the tools, the, the direction, but I wasn't able to take it at that time. Like, you know, I work with kids and people today, they can't see what I can see sometimes. They don't get it. They don't get what they need to do. They need to stand up and they need to, you know, fight a little bit. And a lot of times you have to go away. And that's an analogy with God. He comes to us, well, have gives to, us the opportunity. And if we can't take it. Well, you have to read your Corinthians 15. So there's the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the restoration. All right. Well, I, I appreciate it. That's a little too deep for me. <laughs> he was like a theology, <laughs> theology major so, in college or something like that. He brings this, this stuff know, out I, all I, over the I, place. I, I, I love, you know, I, I think about what you said to me, like, you know, had I beat Holmes that night, I probably wouldn't be here tonight with you because life was so fast leading up to that. Everybody wanted a piece. Here's my house. Take my plane. Here's my wife. You know, that's how it was back then. And for a young it's kid, hard it's hard to say no. It's for a young kid. It's like candy. No, I got to go yeah. run at, at five in the morning. You know, it's, you know, I hate but like, to run. But like Kevin said, if you had beaten Holmes, you might have been... You might have thought too high of yourself, yeah. and yeah, you might have just well, true, went but, right on that. Yeah. Well, thank God we'll have to find that out. Yeah. But I wish I could have had a rematch with him. Because what I learned in that first fight from him, and if I would have got the rematch, today's time they would have gave me three fights with him. But if I would have got the rematch, I would have a different guy the second time. There would have been a trilogy now. Right. And <laughs> So I'm going to set this fight up for six months. Okay? Right in here. Right here. We'll have it in here. I, I'm going to put my money on you. Because... You know, for for the the shots that you took in the ring and the and outside of the ring, which are equally as damaging, mm -hmm. you look pretty damn good. How old are you now? I am sixty six. You're sixty six years old. A boxer to look like you at sixty six years old. <laughs> I and, got the radio face now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> good looking guy. For, for the listeners, he's a good looking guy. What was that? <laughs> yeah, he does, he doesn't have the boxer no. face like the pushed no. in nose and you know. What was the worst? Yeah, what was the worst injury you took? My feelings hurt a couple. Of <laughs> <laughs> you broke an heart. I broke my I broke my nose once. Okay, uh, I tore my rotator cuff. I snapped my tendon off my middle finger. They had to pull it out and put a pin through my hand. And the next day, I was leaving for Hawaii. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we injuries, muscle pulls, you know, uh, stuff like that. But you know, but, but I see you know, back then, when you're in the moment, when you're that guy. A world class athlete, it's just it's harmony. Like you know, it's just everything is harmonious. Like you don't feel nothing. It, it, it just it, it it baffles me that you broke your nose obviously like in the middle of a fight. No, I was training and I got headbutted, and so I was supposed to fight Lee Canalito in Italy, and so I, you know they they tried to give me this old helmet with the with this guard yeah. here, but every time they the guard it was hitting my broken nose. But it, it just it. Cracks me up that these these guys these boxers who break their nose in the middle of a fight and they keep going is that adrenaline that just keeps them going because yeah, I, I broke yeah, my nose before you know, your endorphins are flying you know feel it but I broke my nose then there was a night where like I scratched my cornea right so we go to the doctor and after the doctor I'm going to a restaurant to eat and who's sitting next to me but Barbara Streisand and a, a mother or a manager she asked if I could sit with them really <laughs> Barbara Streisand how's that bro wow. 
I'm a badass yeah. man, bro. She offered you a part in Yentl? Because I know you did some movie work. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was in the Mob Queen. Check it out. Tony Sirica was great. Tony, oh, Tony Sirica. Yeah, you know, I did soul. a couple sets with the, the Sopranos. I, he was one of the nicest guys I ever met out of the Sopranos. Yeah. And it's a shame, you, you know, rest in peace, obviously. You know, I met so many different great, so many celebrities. I never had any bad experience with any of them. People tell me that this guy was a prick and that guy was a prick. I said, listen, every one of us sometimes get up on the wrong side of the bed. So we, a good, a good friend said, of mine said that, who, who was very high profile. He said, you know, if you got to be very conscious of being a public figure because if you go out and we all have bad days, everybody in here has had a right. bad day right. and you get, you get approached by the wrong time. Your significant other comes at you and you snap. Now all of a sudden Jerry Cooney's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, you know, I, and I understand that and I've never met anybody that I never liked. You see Stallone, how, you fought, see, Stallone you fought a lot of himself. You, I was out in Lake City with him, <laughs> walking around. He wanted people to know who he was. That's all good, though. You know what I mean? He was a movie star. He was a great big movie star. But other than that, every single buddy I ever met, I loved all of them. You every could, moment. You could have just carried him out in your pocket. <laughs> you know, Bob Hope was the greatest guy in the world. I have a picture you, of me, you, with me you kissing and, Bob Hope. You and Bob Hope? Headgear. Uh, uh, he's, he's looking at he's looking at the camera. His eyes are up in the air like this, and I'm kissing him on the side of the face. It's the best picture I ever took. Oh I have God. a picture of me and Frank Sinatra holding the heavy bag for me. So I, I mean, I just I, you know I can't tell you the people send me pictures all the time about that I don't even know are around. But I had a lot of so many great moments. Look, looking back, it had to be I mean well well deserved and well earned. But it had to be, I'm looking forward. No, I'm just saying it had to be some I like just, charmed life with like. Like yeah. the people you met. I mean. Other than, you know, you know, you signed to fight Larry Holmes and you know you're going to fight him six months in advance. You wake up every day, oh shit, I got to fight Holmes. <laughs> well, aside from coming on the Suffering Podcast, who's the most important people you've met in your you life? Guys, you guys. <laughs> you see, you see, that, see that softball I just threw up? Yeah, I, I just want to say, Jerry, do you have any idea the impact you had on us young guys in Long Island? Well, I mean, what? it was I, huge. I got to tell you, right? Like, I grew up in, in Long Island. And as I ran the streets, the garbage trucks cheered me, beeped the horns. They all beat my horns every time they saw me. The town trucks beat the horn. You know, I felt like I was that was my that was my place. Yep, it was, Jerry. And you know, once once I heard from the Suffering Podcast, you'd be here tonight. I mean, I know your story. In 1982, I was in 11th grade. You had us all shadow boxing in high school, and you had us pumped because you were a local hero to I'm us. I'm so sorry that. You know, I really deeply regret that I wasn't the guy I could have been that night. And I had a, a sickness and... Um, yeah, but the, the second fight of your life, I still, I still say, as much as I admired, as much as I admired your boxing career, your second fight of your life, it, it, it's probably the most difficult, but it's the one that I most admire. No, I, are you kidding me? My life today is the greatest thing you could ever imagine. I, you know, I, I, I have everything. I, I, I mean, I, I love this life. And but now I, you've been on a suffering podcast, so <laughs> life just got even better. You know, listen, <laughs> you have everything. I, I've made amends. I've straightened my side of the street up. I try and stay in my lane. You and I are going to have a conversation on the ride home about forgiveness. Because I need to. I'm not going to forgive you for what you said. <laughs> Both of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to find out exactly how you did it. Because it's it's again, I, w I will I will ask you. I will no, ask not, you. But not here? no, it's a private conversation. Oh. <laughs>
when the masseuses come in later on. No, I'm only kidding. If your wife's listening, I'm only kidding. She won't listen. No, my, my so, wife's a great lady. So we're coming to the end of this thing here. You've been, you've had this just storied life, and you know, so listen, I stayed away from relationships. I focused on my life um, for a year. I was about coming up on five years being clean. And this buddy of mine in the program got a job in this accounting firm. And I was living in Florida in the wintertime. And he called me one day and we talked with the lawyer. He says, listen, hey, say hello to Jennifer. And he put her on the phone with me. And we had a nice conversation. I said, you know, when I come home, we'll go have lunch. So three months later, I come home. We go out to lunch. There was four of us. After lunch, my Jennifer and me walked down the street holding hands. Right Stayed with- alone for a year. I got to know a little bit about myself, cleaned up, you know, a lot, and uh, I met my wife. You were right where you were supposed to be. 30 years ago. 30 years. A little too young for me. Maybe she's getting <laughs> old for me now. She's 12 years younger than me. Yeah, you might have to trade her in for Norma. Well, again, I'm only, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> Two new models. <laughs> you don't keep a 30 year. I tell, I, my poor wife gets it for me because I tell her she she just turned 40. I said, you, you don't keep a 40-year-old car unless it's a classic and hunt. You ain't a classic. <laughs> girls, don't, girls don't come with the QQ plates. You know? No, no. <laughs> One question I have for you, though. I which, love it. I love it. Um, do, do you get more satisfaction out of, like, your career and your, and your wins than you do the wins and the careers of the people that you're training now? I love boxing. I'm, I'm on a, uh, at the fights show on Sirius XM and I know the guys. I know how they think. I know what they're working out. I know how they're making the plan. I can see it unfold. Yeah. Now you watch, I watch the shows. A lot of those commentators, they don't even know what they're talking about. And so, you know, I, I tell the truth on the radio. I tell them what's going on. This guy is breaking this guy down. Doesn't seem like it right now. He's he's playing. He's playing him out. He's looking him out. He's finding it out. You can't just go into the fight and do your thing. You've got to piss the guy out a little bit. You've got to wear him out a little bit. Find what you want. Get him to where you want him to be. That's the gift. It's got to be magic. It's, it's got to be some kind of like satisfaction to you. One of the guys you train to see him in the ring and he actually wins a fight. It's well, it, you got to be like a father figure. It's like watching your son do well. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had that experience where I had a guy uh, who was training with me and he was fighting this marine in Hoboken. It was one of my fights for my charity and uh, for uh, YCS kids who struggle and. Uh, he was a tough kid. He wasn't, he was not that great, but he was a tough kid, right? And I said, listen, when the 32nd bell goes off every round, I want you on that guy. You don't got to punch hard, just full 30 punches, just like that. And I'm outside with his father and his father was, you know, a hard working guy and he would give each other high fives <laughs> and he beat the guy's ass. And before the fight, his trainer was telling me, yeah, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. But you make a plan. Yeah. You know, like, like I put one guy in the gloves. He won the heavyweight title. He was the oldest guy in the gloves. And I told him, every t- the guy was a big right-hand puncher. I said, every time the right hand comes, dip to your right, weave underneath, give me three or four, and turn one over and hold him. And he won the heavyweight title. So, you know, we have those moments. Yeah. But I love watching fighters because of the hope in their lives and where they came from and the struggle. And, and you hope they make it out. I make it. I made it out safe. Yeah, I made it out with my money in my pocket. I 
I, I put my money in safety, you know, and that's what needs to be more of. And you made it out with your brain. Well, a lot, a lot of these boxers now, you know, we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, in, in football, you hear about concussions and CTEs oh, and so all that. Bad, so and, bad. you know, and, and what they talk about with boxers is guys are punch drunk. Yeah, poor like Jerry Quarry. Yeah. You just the poor, the poor guy by the end of his life, he couldn't understand. Well, what they he said. also found out that I'll tell you a story about that when that was big. Like, we had Lisa Ravden, who was on our board, who was works for NYU, and she was doing a study. And she said, if I wanted to, I could come in and see if I'm prone to get dementia. And I said, no. <laughs> what the hell do I want to know for, right? In five years, you're not going to remember. <laughs> exactly. But you know, but they have come a long yeah. way. Yeah. And I know a guy that. I know a lot of guys that they just were so tough and could take a punch, but you can't take a punch. It catches up with you sometimes. You do you know, uh, I'm sure you know of him. I don't know if you know him personally. Vito went to Fermo. Oh, he's a, I used to train with him since I'm 17. I used to spar with him. I, I saw Vito probably last year. And he went to a restaurant that we go to in Bayonne all the time. And he said, uh, hey, what am I having for lunch? The guy said, Vito, you had lunch a half hour ago. He goes, oh, okay. Turned around and walked out. Yeah, he must be kidding, but he did take a lot of shots, oh, that guy. And he great, was tough as nails. Great guy, great guy. Yeah. I remember watching him fight and when I was a kid. he loved his wife. He loved yeah. his wife. But, you know, back in those days, he, he was like the man. Yeah. And he thought he was the man. But you come to America, you become womanized. And, and the woman don't want to put up with that. Yeah. And he was too busy doing his thing. And, and so he that broke his heart. Yeah. Broke his heart. So Jerry, we're coming to the end of this thing here, and I ask all the guests the same question. You've been through, you've had this storied life. You've been through a lot, both inside the ring and outside of the ring, from how you grew up to how you ended up. What do you think your suffering has taught you? You have to get up, dust off your pants, and keep moving. And you've got to ask the question, can you help me? I love that, can you help me? I love that. Jerry, I you truly are a gentleman. You really are. <laughs> That's gonna be the best I thing. Concur. I concur. What are you? He, yeah, you're, Charlie, you're trapped in a corner. Hey, listen. He gets mad at me. I can still hit the door. The listen, I got hit by Lenny LaPeglia. Remember the super middleweight from he was in Long Island for a while? He hit me in the ribs one time and I, I the super middleweight at one sixty eight uh, got me. Let me tell you a story. So I'm training at the downtown athletic club and they got three brothers. Six eight, six nine, six seven, all big Irish guys, right? And so they're boxing, right? So they're gonna fight me, right? So I said, listen, do me a favor, don't back me in the corner, because when you back me in the corner, instinct takes over, and I want to fight out. So every single one of them, you're ruining the studio, Jerry. <laughs> every single one of them That's backs a me into the corner, and one of the kids, I hit him and broke his nose. And they were so mad at me. So, And the father was as big as them. And about six months later, I see them down in Atlantic City on a boardwalk. And the old man comes up to me like so mad. I said, listen, I told your kids not to back me in the corner. And he got it. Well, I thank you so much for coming in with us today. Oh, it's great. This, time, has been, this has been incredible. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, I'm so here. glad. I thank mean, you. I, it I enjoyed great. it. You want to need somebody to break down a fight for you? Call me up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. The f- boxing is great now. Yeah, big I, fight this week, and Wilder's fighting uh, that great Deontay from, Wilder. Deontay I'm, Wilder's fighting a tough guy from um, where is he from? Starts with an N. Uh, Norway. Norway. Great guy, Robert Hellenius. Big fight. Nice. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, the Suffering of Professional Fighter with the Jerry Cooney. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. Don't say bad things about Chuck Webner in front of Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) Keep getting up and turn the page. Self-sabotage will squash your dreams. Work your way up. Sometimes we get comfortable with the abuse. You are a true gentleman, Mr. Cooney. But most importantly, can you help me? That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, Suffering a Professional Fighter. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. Follow Charlie at Charlie Cifarelli. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And, of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. And we're going to see you on the next episode of Suffering Podcast.